Apparently something called Quibi died. What is Quibi? Couldn't tell ya. Hey fam, welcome to a new episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry. This week, uh, I wanted to have a little bit of fun and talk about streaming services. So as you heard in the, you know, kind of up top piece of the episode, Quibbly, <laughs> Quibbly, Quibby, the little streaming service that couldn't has uh, called it quits. Uh, basically, after a few months, uh, a really terrible model, awful advertising, it um, decided to shut down. So basically, for, for those of you who don't know, Quibi was kind of, at, at first, this basically a mobile-only streaming service with all original programming, um, which I, I, I want to make it frank, when I... When I talk badly about Quibi, I'm not talking badly about the content that exists on the platform. Um, quite frankly, most of it I, I, I haven't really gotten a chance to experience. Uh, I know a lot of talented people worked on stuff for the platform, and I'm really hoping that those shows find new life someplace else. Uh, I know after a certain amount of time, the owners of that content or the creators of that content, you know, get ownership of it and will hopefully be able to shop it around to other places. Um, but really, it, it was the model, it was the execution on the platform that didn't really make sense. Uh, it was, you know, in a sense, a, a Generation X kind of mentality for something that they were hoping to market to Generation Z or Millennials, I, I'm guessing. Um, and it just didn't really work. I mean, you had this thing that's basically locked to your phone. And, and quite frankly, you know, if I'm going to spend eight or nine minutes just watching stuff on my phone, why would I want to have to pay for it when I have stuff like YouTube or Instagram stories or TikTok or Snapchat or, or any number of different things that are that are free uh, and providing me content. So it, it off automatically was this already this weird kind of thing where it's like, who wants to pay for programming that is only available on their phones? You know, and, and sure, some of the issue that they may have faced came in the form of the pandemic. I, I, I don't want to say that everything was just a bad model, even though I think a lot of it was a bad model. Um, but I, I think that's something that, that also has to be taken into consideration. But, you know, reflecting on Quibi and some of the things that I saw problematic about it, I wanted to create an episode of this podcast where I talk about some of the things that, that I think make a good streaming service, or, or what I should say is things that I think are interesting in kind of the streaming service landscape right now. Um, and I think some of the good or some of the things I see as good will come out as I'm talking about these things. So hang on, I will be right back.
So when I think about what makes a good streaming service, there are a couple of things, you know, there, there are really four points that come to mind for me that, that really will exemplify if this streaming service is worth paying the money for or not. Uh, and, and for me, those are the back catalog, the new or original content, uh, the user experience or, or how easy it is to navigate and find something to watch uh, and, and to really get into it and to come back continually and watch things. And then finally, you know, things like the affordability and, and ads of that platform. And so as I'm thinking about these things, and I'll, I'll break them down a little bit further as we go along, you know, I decided to look at what are some of the most popular streaming services right now, the ones that most of us have probably heard of and are more than likely using. So just looking at a list of the streaming services by subscribers, we have Netflix at the very top with 193 million subscribers. It's a worldwide platform, very big, probably the one that most people think of when they think about streaming right now. Prime Video, uh, Amazon's Prime Video, has 150 million subscribers. Again, this is another worldwide network. Uh, Disney Plus is at 60.5 million users. It's not quite worldwide yet, but it's starting to get there. Hulu, uh, which is actually part owned by Disney or, or mostly owned by Disney with um, NBC Universe or sorry, Comcast. I, I need to really get that straight. Comcast as a silent partner owning like 33% of it, but also giving Hulu, you know, access to a whole bunch of NBC Universal content uh, with $35.5 million. And the thing that I didn't know is Hulu is only available in the US and Japan right now, um, which is kind of interesting. Um, one that I'm not going to be talking about today, but I decided to put it on here just because of the number of subscribers is YouTube premium, which again, I know there are premium original content that, that is created for there. Um, the Cobra Kai series that I know a lot of people are into, which is, I think made the jump over to Netflix now, uh, got a start on YouTube premium. Uh, but again, I'm probably not going to come back to it because mostly I pay for it to not have to deal with ads when I'm on YouTube. Uh, and and for some of the, the creator-specific original content, uh, which I feel like falls a little bit outside of what I'm really going to be talking about in terms of uh, streaming services. Though, you know, if you really are into individual creators, I think YouTube Premium is a good way to go for, you know, people who are making videos and not necessarily, you know, big studios making <laughs> making making video content, if, if that makes sense to you. Um, next on the list is Peacock with 15 million active users, which and in the US, uh, Peacock is basically the NBC Universal service or Comcast service, uh, if you will. So. Uh, it, it's kind of, I would say it's just kind of getting off the ground, but because of Xfinity Comcast footprint, uh, it's really easy for them to get installed because essentially if you pay for an Xfinity service like internet or cable, you already get Peacock. So I, I'm sure that's a massive place for 
where their users are coming from right now. Surprisingly, Apple TV Plus, which is also worldwide, has 10 million users. Again, though, uh, if you bought a new Apple TV, uh, iPhone or iPad or MacBook Pro, you were getting a year of Apple TV Plus, so I'm sure that's a big part of that number. CBS All Access, which is also a worldwide service, has 10 million users. And rounding out the bunch, uh, I was actually surprised by how low this number is. Um, and I don't know if it's partially because uh, from the data that I found, uh, HBO Max has 8.6 million users, but I also saw that HBO Now had something like 9 million, but I don't know if that's accurate as of today, knowing that those services are kind of the same thing. Um, even though you know HBO Max isn't available on all devices yet, that may kind of cause some discrepancy in those numbers. Again, not sure. Maybe we'll figure it out later. Uh, but you know, I thought it was pretty interesting that HBO is kind of coming up last. Uh, and you know, thinking about how HBO probably had a, a, a rough start, also kind of starting up during the pandemic and not necessarily having the best advertising campaign. So, you know, I, I joke around about Quibi not advertising itself well. I would argue that HBO Max also did a pretty poor job. I think it was pretty hard for people to understand what was actually on the service, um, as well as trying to differentiate it from the other streaming HBO services that were available at the time. Um, but that's another story for another day, fully dedicated to HBO Max. So. You know, with that other way, with those kind of framing what some of the big streaming services are, let me get into some of that criteria that I talked about in terms of judging these services. So one of the biggest ones is the back catalog. And, and really what we're looking at here is what is the existing content on that platform? You know, what are the things that, you know, are, are kind of those staples for you're gonna jump on this service and you're gonna get into watching stuff right away. And how much content is there for me to get into, you know, dis discounting any kind of newer original stuff that's there. And, you know, really this is a place where Netflix used to be the big winner. People would go to Netflix to watch The Office and Friends and Parks and Recreation. Um, but as more and more streaming services have popped up, other services have started to kind of steal that content away. Starting in January, The Office will be leaving Netflix for Peacock. Um, you know, we already saw Friends jump ship. I, I believe it's on HBO Max right now. I don't really care about Friends, so eh. Uh, Parks and Rec is on Peacock, 30 Rock is on Peacock. So, you know, it's just Netflix is, is kind of losing that edge. Um, but they have a mix of some classic and newer films. So moving outside of the TV range, they, they have newer and classic films. And when I was kind of looking at my screen earlier, I thought a, a nice comparison was a newer film like Uncut Gems was sitting right next to a film like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. I've seen they have Back to the Future still on there. You know, a couple of the Indiana Jones movies are still on there. You know, there's a mixture of newer stuff, classic stuff that you can get into. So there is a lot of content there, uh, which can make it a little bit much, but, but I'll come back to that later. It's going to be interesting to see what they can hold on to, though, as more and more of these, you know, production companies, essentially, or, or 
you know, conglomerate companies, when you look at the Disney's, the NBC Universal's, uh, CBS Viacom's, the, uh, you know, you know, HBO, Warner, Warner Brothers, etc. When you see all of those start to have their own services and as they become more competitive, it's going to be really difficult to for Netflix to keep its lead, especially in the kind of the back catalog area especially depending on how some of the deals for content rights have been negotiated. Um, so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they fare in this back catalog category going forward. Peacock is it might be another heavy hitter for some people in this area. You know, again, like I said, having 30 Rock, having Parks and Rec, a lot of comedies, SNL, newer stuff or not newer stuff but it's kind of older at this point but stuff like psych stuff like monk um saved by the bell cheers frazier all of the law and orders downton abbey suits house friday night lights you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that exists in the peacock world that i think people are really interested in you know reality is not really my thing but i, I took a look to see what they have in there and it's like all right Peacock has Real Housewives and Keeping Up with the Kardashians and then all of the spinoffs of all of those things, um, as well as like some competition shows. Like I think they saw Top Chef Junior on there, you know, so they have an interesting mix of different things that, you know, again, for me may not be the most enticing. They may not be the things that I want to watch all the time, but you know, if you're really into, you know, some of the NBC shows, you know, it might be a big thing for you. On the movie side of things, I also found their listings kind of interesting. You know, it's one of the few places that has a whole lot of Hitchcock movies, Psycho, Rear Window, Vertigo, The Birds. You know, it, I, I was kind of surprised because one of the things that I've been looking for are some of those classic movies that I remembered watching when I was younger and, and wanting to revisit. You know, Rear Window is one of my favorite movies of all time, but you know, it wasn't really on any of the streaming services that I had recently or I couldn't find it. So knowing that it's on Peacock and knowing that I get it through having Xfinity, you know, it makes it really easy to say, oh, there's definitely something on that platform that I wanna watch. Um, you know, not to mention that at some point I, I do want to probably start watching This Is Us, you know, that might be a good place to do it. I know it's also on Hulu. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Disney Plus is another one that I think, you know, really in the back catalog sense, I think what works out for Disney here is uh, some of you may remember this idea growing up, but the Disney vault, you know, VHS tapes would be allowed out of the vault for a limited time or DVD releases would be allowed out of the vault for a limited time. So, you know, you had to buy that Disney movie that you wanted to see right away or it would be gone. You'd never see it again or it would be a long time before you see it again. The great thing about Disney Plus is it's just like opening up the vaults to you. So, you know, Saturday morning Disney cartoons that or Disney afternoon cartoons that you might have grown up with are there. Marvel cartoons are there. They have Star Wars shows, Disney Channel shows, The Simpsons. They got a lot of good stuff there. And that means that all of those movies are also available. So, you know, if there's a Disney movie that you love, more than likely it's there. Even Disney Channel original movies are there. If there's something that you remember from the Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, National Geographic side of things, 
that you remember, it's probably on the platform. And, and I think that that is a really big selling point for it. You know, right now, I would say of the nostalgia generating platforms, Disney Plus kind of does the best there because, you know, I'm gonna be real. One of the things that I really wanted to watch on Disney Plus was the new DuckTales show. And that's great. Once I finished the seasons that were there, old DuckTales was there for me to watch as well. So I, I, I think that's kind of one of the cool things about it, being able to kind of go back and relive that stuff, even though I'll, I'll probably have a follow up episode on nostalgia one of these days. Um, but, you know, I think I think that's an area where Disney Plus does really well. Hulu is a bit weird in this category because it's kind of a mixed bag because some of the stuff that they have, you know, is is not there fully. I don't know how to explain this really, but like some programs you can watch every season of a show. Other stuff, especially if it's a current season, you might only be able to watch like the most recent three or four episodes. And I think that's something that's kind of important to remember with Hulu. Not everything is necessarily there. Um, again, the good thing though is once Disney acquired Fox, a lot of the FX programming and stuff that would be more mature uh, wouldn't necessarily fit on Disney Plus lives on Hulu. So I, I think that's one of the cooler things about Hulu. So you can go and you can watch stuff like Atlanta or uh, Fargo or those types of series right there on that platform. And it, and it kind of gives it, it, it gives it a different flavor. So um, I think there's a lot of value there in Hulu. Uh, but again, that's one of those things that it's gonna really depend on who you are and the way that you like watching things. Uh, I personally like Hulu a lot uh, because, you know, as somebody who is a cable cutter, being able to like keep up with shows still is pretty important to me. And I think they do a good job of it. And again, like that collaboration between Disney and Comcast on this thing, you know, it, it kind of ensures that we have access to NBC Universal content, Fox content, FX content, all of the sub brands within there. I, I never have a problem finding something to watch on Hulu. And I also think they have a pretty good selection of anime. If you're into anime, um, you know, Netflix doesn't have a bad selection either, but I, I personally found myself watching more stuff on Hulu. Um, you know, again, I think some of that is just what they have access to uh, and what they make available there is a little bit better in some cases. Um, now for some that like maybe aren't quite the best, I, I think Prime Video is pretty weak in this area. Um, you know, they have some good stuff and some bad stuff in the catalog. Uh, I don't really, I'll, I'll be honest, I don't spend a whole lot of time engaging with Prime's back catalog. For me, their original series are kind of where it's at. Um, but again, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Apple TV Plus doesn't have a back catalog per se. Their catalog is basically all originals at this point and they just stole the Peanuts holiday specials. But other than that, not really much of anything. 
Um, CBS All Access, like I'll admit, is the platform that I'm the least familiar with. Uh, it's the one that I've kind of have no real drive to get, despite being a lifelong Star Trek fan and wanting to, you know, I, I want to get into some of the series there. And, and it's cool that they have older stuff like the older Star Trek series and Twilight Zone and a bunch of Nickelodeon stuff, which is great. You know, having content from CBS, BET, Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, MTV is cool. Uh, but, you know, just nothing, nothing makes me feel like I have to uh, subscribe to CBS All Access right now. So, like, I, I just haven't found that, you know, whether it's in the back catalog or, you know, the newer original stuff, which I'll get to later, nothing really grabs me there. I think HBO Max also has a pretty good back catalog. Um, you know, when you look at the way that they are set up, because it's because it's Warner Media, uh, they have Cartoon Network, they have Adult Swim, they have stuff from DC Comics, they have, you know, Turner Classic Movie stuff, they have films from Studio Ghibli, they have anime from Crunchyroll, Sesame Workshop stuff, they have Looney Tunes. You know, they have Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, all of the HBO kind of original series that have existed over time. So if you want to watch The Sopranos or Sex and the City or, or whatever, it, it's all there. And, and I think that makes it a pretty, a pretty compelling back catalog right there. Like if you have not watched some of those great HBO series, like if you haven't watched The Wire, here's your opportunity to go back and watch the wire and while you're at it hey you wires too heavy for you go watch some looney tunes cartoons or go watch the fresh prince of bel-air or you know go watch steven universe on cartoon network or regular show or whatever it is so i, I think hbo they, they also have a great library of, of comedy stand-up comedy documentaries etc they also have you know for me I, I like to think I'm a big fan of cinema and, you know, to be able to go back and watch classic films from, you know, samurai epics from Kurosawa and Mizuguchi and, you know, watching great Westerns and, you know, things like that. They have the Alien franchises on there. You can see pretty much every Alien movie right on HBO Max. Um, I just just a lot. There's just so much there. And, and I think. I think in terms of back catalogs go, especially in the movie vein of things, and, and yes, they have a lot of great series as well, uh, but I think I think HBO Max does a really good job of collecting all of that different stuff and, and making a really compelling argument on the back catalogs front. The other second area that I, that I really wanted to, the second of the big areas that I would say are a really huge focus in terms of determining whether or not a streaming service is good is is that new content that original content area and this is a place where netflix for years had been huge and, and really started to make a name for itself with stuff like house of cards and orange is the new black you know they've invested so much in building these original series and now original movies um and you know they they they're making these really big strides with getting original productions from cinematic masters like you know getting Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, 
You know, that's a huge get. Alfonso Cuaron's Roma, you know, Baumbach's Marriage Story, you know, award-winning films, you know, from these award-winning, you know, auteurs is, is just kind of brilliant. Like, it's it's such a big move. But even even then, like, if, if fine-crafted cinema isn't really your thing, and, you know, you want... 1 million Adam Sandler movies each year, they're giving you that too. You know, they're, they're giving you all sorts of different things. You know, there's a smattering of different documentaries and docu-series about everything from art and design with the abstract series to uh, video game documentaries with high score to, you know, Vox's ha Vox has an explain series on there where you can learn about all sorts of stuff, including sex and voting and, you know, just about any topic you can imagine they have something on. Um, on top of that, you know, they're, they're making these strives into these like weird reality shows, you know, both competition and these dating shows. Um, you know, just it's 2020 as I'm recording this and you know, at the very beginning of this year, the one thing, you know, before the pandemic, everybody was talking about was Love is Blind. And, you know, Netflix has this amazing ability to produce these things that get people talking, that get people interested. And I think that's that's really what your original content needs to do. It needs to capture the zeitgeist. And, you know, when you look at you know, when you look at what they're doing with you know, even on, you know, the action or sci-fi side of things, when they're able to produce something like The Witcher or the animated projects like Castlevania or Voltron or She-Ra, they're, they're really able to grab onto these niche audiences and kind of inject the type of content that's going to really get them on board and get people talking about them and using their platform. You know, and let's not forget stuff like Tiger King. Like, they have these kind of powder keg you know, explosive projects that kind of come out of nowhere and just get everybody talking about them, you know? And so sure, you know, things have quieted down on the Tiger King front lately, but we have to remember how big that was when it came out. And sure, some of that might've been people bored during the pandemic, this weird documentary drops, gets everybody talking, but it's not the first time Netflix has done this and it won't be the last. I think, you know, again, I think the original content is really where they're they're making their bread right now. Other, other services do a pretty good job with original content too. I mean, Prime is another air, another service, Prime Video is another service that I think does a pretty good job with this. You know, when you look at, again, award-winning projects, stuff like Mozart in the Jungle, you know, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, and, and then even branching out more into, you know, science fiction-y, comic book-y stuff like The Boys or, or Utopia. I, I just think they have a really good mixture of different things. And most of those shows, while in some cases they might have that specific Amazon Prime video feel, I, I think they're all really well done series that, again, are able to kind of tap into, you know, specific niche audiences. Uh, I don't watch Jack Reacher, but like, you know, I know that's another one that really got people going with it. Um, other services like Disney Plus I, I, are kind of a mixed bag right now. So, I mean, 
when I think of originals with Disney Plus, and, and partially it, it's it's what I'm interested in, so that may color this a bit, but the first thing that comes to mind is The Mandalorian. And I, I don't know if I can name any other originals that are currently on the platform. Um, that said, you know, there, there is good stuff coming. You know, there are upcoming Marvel series. We have the WandaVision series, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series. So that may start to change. Like as Disney has also kind of made a pledge that they want to focus more on their streaming platform and what they're doing in that arena, I believe we might start to see a shift there and start to see more projects that are developed specifically for Disney Plus. So only time will tell. Back to somebody who's a bit stronger in this area. I think Hulu is another place that does a pretty good job producing great content like Rami, The Handmaid's Tale, Pen15, The Great and Shrill, just to name a few. You know, again, you know, Hulu is, you might be picking up on it. Hulu is probably my favorite favorite streaming service overall. It's also the one that I've probably used the longest. I, I've been on Hulu in some form or another since college. You know, back then I was watching episodes of The Office and 30 Rock and stuff like that. But, you know, as, as time went on, it started to get more stuff and you start to watch more shows. So, uh, but, you know, again, I'll, I'll come back. I'll probably have more praise and love for Hulu later, blah, blah, blah. Uh, in the originals front, I personally think Peacock is a bit weak. There's pretty much nothing there that I, I am excited to watch or feel like I need to watch in terms of new original content. Again, that may change in the future. We'll see. Part of it is, you know, how are these different companies adapting to using these platforms and centering them in their kind of strategy of content development? And so that's something that we're going to see. We're going to see if that changes. Um, and for, you know, for a company like Comcast, you know, overseeing NBC Universal, I imagine that there is room for them to develop some pretty cool original content. I think one of the areas that they kind of got screwed over a little bit is the fact that, you know, again, really getting your service off the ground in the middle of a pandemic when it causes some of your production environments to change quite significantly and will really cause some issues with you being able to produce series. Cause I mean, there are regular NBC shows that had to cut seasons short or had to adjust their production. So, you know, I, I, I don't want to kind of harp on, you know, they don't have the most robust selection of original programming for something that is as low price as Peacock is, which again, we'll, we'll talk about cost in a little bit. Um, you know, what's, what's funny, Apple TV plus is basically all original content and pretty much nothing there stands out to me again. You know, I, I'm not saying that the stuff that is there is bad or poorly done. I'm sure a lot of it, it's great. It's just, it right now does not speak to me. And, you know, I, as always, I, I always ask for people to share their feedback. So if there is something on Apple TV Plus or Peacock or, 
you know, or or one of these other streaming platforms that I that I might be kind of downplaying right now that you think I should check out, definitely let me know and I will take a look. Uh, CBS All Access is another interesting one. So like I said before, CBS All Access is the one that I have the least experience with. Um, but it has all the new Star Trek series, stuff like Lower, the animated show Lower Decks, Picard and Discovery, which are both live action. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pretty interested. I, I love Star Trek and, and I need to watch those at some point. Eventually, I'll probably get around to doing a trial of, of CBS All Access and seeing how much of those I can binge at once. Uh, but other than that, like I know they have the good fight, but I'm not really sure what other originals they have, uh, if they have that many or, and I'm not really sure how good their originals are. So I know a lot of people speak pretty highly of Star Trek Discovery and I've, I've heard good things from people I trust about Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, so we'll see in the future. HBO Max, I think is another standout right now and it's partially due to the strength of HBO's originals. So because with HBO Max, you're getting all of these HBO programs, you're getting new shows like Lovecraft Country and Euphoria and Betty, and you're getting Insecure, Berries, you're getting Search Party, which made its way over from TBS, you're getting Succession and, and so much more. Fantastic documentaries, uh, sports documentaries, you know, crime documentaries, um, you know, all sorts of wild stuff there. You're getting great stand-up specials, you're getting originals from DC Comics, like the new Harley Quinn's co uh, cartoon, which is hilarious uh, and really well done. You have, have weird comic shows like Doom Patrol, uh, eventually, or not eventually, uh, when I last checked, Young Justice, stuff like Titans is back over here. Um, so even if Titans isn't the best series, um, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, it's there for you. And there's, there's always just new shows, new content being developed for the platform. There are a ton of Max specific originals that I just have not watched yet. Um, but I'm really interested in seeing. So uh, I think HBO Max, in terms of original content, is, is probably one that I would definitely keep my eye on uh, because there's always programming there that people need to talk about. Like, you know, again, like just looking back on something like, like Lovecraft Country, I mean, you, you had people for like basically for a couple of months in a row where it's like every Sunday night that was their thing. So you know, really, really looking at how the content that they're creating can really capture people and, and get them talking and to really control that conversation around entertainment. Like, quite frankly, that's what you want to do with your original programming. You know, you might draw folks in with your back catalog, get them to feel comfortable, make them feel like they always have something to, you know, lean back on if they can't figure out what else to watch. But when all, you know, when all is said and done, it's the new programs that are going to keep them there, that are going to get them to talk to other people about new programming and that are going to get them excited to keep going um, and, and really make them an active user rather than just a passive user. So, you know, I, th I think that's an area where, you know, the best places, you know, the best streaming services really stand out.
One area that I feel like they all struggle in is user experience. Um, you know, I, I, frankly, I, I kind of want to say they're all bad in this area. Some are better than others. I think part of the problem is that in many cases, there's just too much content. Obviously, it's great to have a lot going on and to be able to present so many choices to your varied audiences, but it should be easy to navigate and find something to watch. Personally speaking, I think that Hulu, for me, is the easiest one to, you know, navigate, the easiest one with a ton of content to navigate and, and find stuff to watch. I think their My Stuff section makes it really easy to tag content that you're interested in and kind of add it to your watch list. So, you know, as your shows update, so a new weekly episode comes out, it queues it up and you can basically just watch through your newest episodes of your shows, you know, and get yourself all caught up, which I think is really nice. Um, the other thing with it too is I also feel that just from an algorithmic standpoint, I personally think that Hulu seems to do the best job with its suggestions. So, you know, telling people that, hey, maybe you should watch this show next. Um, I think they do the best job of it. Netflix always feels like they're really just intent on pushing their content, the stuff that they want you to see, not necessarily the stuff that you would be most interested in seeing. So um, I, I think that's an area where all of these services could really take a step up. Uh, but again, personally, I think Hulu is the easiest to kind of navigate. You know, all of them have a search function, which helps. Uh, but, you know, I think I think in a lot of ways, they're all a little difficult to get around. And, and again, I think a lot of that, especially for the larger ones, is really just how bloated they are with content. And, you know, I think that's one area while it's great to have that much. There might be some areas where it's like, all right, like push down some of the, I, how do I say this? Push down some of the crappier content. Cause you know, especially like a service like Netflix, like it, it's great that there is so much available to you, but it sucks that there is so much crap that you have to kind of swim through in order to find gold nuggets sometimes. And it's like, just, just get the crap out of my way. Just like hide the crap from me and just let me see the good stuff. But you know, again, some people, some people like the crappy stuff. Some people want their hundred million Adam Sandler movies here. It's, it's fine. It's fine. Whatever you want. Finally, uh, pricing and ads are, are kind of like two areas that I, I kind of lump together. Uh, and, and yeah, there, there are probably other things that I'm not even thinking about right now, but you know, I, I really was kind of looking through the price structure of some of these and I, and I found I found it kind of interesting. So Netflix has been in the news recently because they were raising their price on kind of their their it, it's actually they're raising the price on their mid tier uh, to $14 a month, I, I guess is, is what they landed at. And so Netflix actually has three plans. The The first plan most people probably wouldn't even know about because it's their $8.99 plan. It only covers standard definition programming uh, and it's one screen. So it's like kind of garbage. 
Uh, their next tier now is $13.99, includes HD programming, and you can stream on up to two screens simultaneously. And their third plan, which, you know, this is the plan that I have for, for my family and because I have a 4K TV, is $17.99. That includes UHD, ultra high definition, which would be their like 4K, like shot really well stuff, Dolby sound, etc. Um, and that allows for up to four screens streaming simultaneously. You know, so just off the bat, like I'm, I'm going to tell you before I kind of go through some of these other ones that Netflix is the most expensive. And, you know, some of that might be because of how much they are spending on their original content right now. But as they lose out on content from other providers, I, I find myself wondering if it's really worth it. Um, so I, I, in terms of my personal usage, I, I would argue that Netflix is probably the streaming service that I use the least at this point. Not that I don't use it at all, because I, I, I would say I use them all a, a fair amount. You know, Netflix Netflix, I do use more than Disney Plus. Let me let me backtrack a little bit. Disney Plus, I probably use the least out of the ones that I'm actually actively using. Um, Peacock, I'm just getting started with, so it would be unfair to kind of put that in there right now. Um, Apple TV Plus, I don't really use, but of probably the main ones that I use, which would be Hulu, Prime Video, HBO Max. Netflix is probably my least used there. And I, I think it's it's partially because, you know, again, I think there's a little bit too much stuff on the platform. Often when I go there, I feel a little bit paralyzed by the amount of content that's there. But also, you know, from a quality standpoint, like I don't I don't want to say that Netflix doesn't produce quality content because I think they do a very good job, as I said before. Um but there's some, I think there's definitely some shortcomings with some of the product that they put out there. Uh, and not everything grabs me in quite the same way as some of the stuff that I might be watching on Hulu or HBO Max or even Prime Video. So jumping to Prime Video and its pricing structure right now, uh, Prime Video is $8.99 uh, if you're just getting the video service. And that offers three streams simultaneously, all UHD 4K, you don't have to worry about that being a separate price structure. Disney Plus is another one, single price structure, $6.99. $6.99, 4K, UHD included, up to four users, you know, streaming simultaneously. And, you know, again, for what Disney Plus is offering, and I guess I should go back and say this for Prime Video too, for what Disney Plus is offering, I actually think that's a killer deal. Um, even though I don't think they have the, the greatest selection of originals, I think they will get there at some point and we'll see some cool stuff there. Like I said, Mandalorian is, it's a good series. So being able to see what they're able to do with that, um, you know, once they kind of get rolling on the originals that coupled with the vault, that $6.99 is a steal because there's so much good Disney content in that back catalog that it's totally worth it. Um, Prime Video for me, you know, I, I pay for Amazon Prime anyway. 
So I don't actually look at Prime Video as an extra cost. It's already kind of included with my, you know, the the shipping uh, discount, um, the the shipping that I'm paying for essentially each month. So um, I think $8.99 is reasonable for the quality of the content that they put out and the number of available shows, original shows specifically that they make available. Not to mention that there are movies that you can watch on there, you know, and and good movies, There's stuff like Hereditary, Midsummer. Like there's stuff that's worth watching on Prime Video that you don't have to, you know, pay for additionally um, outside of owning, uh, outside of using the service. So it, it is good in that way. I think Hulu is an interesting one. So Hulu is one of the services that has an ads model and a no ads model. Um, $5.99 is with ads. $11.99 is with no ads. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think because Hulu approximates watching TV the most closely... I feel like I don't mind having ads on that service as much because it's like paying $6.99 to be able to keep up with a whole bunch of shows that I want to watch and I maybe have to watch a few commercials in between as opposed to paying $60 or $90 or $100 for whatever cable package. I think it I think it makes sense and I think it's worth it. And even paying the $11.99 for the no ads version makes sense. Um, you know, it, it's 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 a good deal based on the content that they make available to you, as well as the back catalog of movies, some shows, anime, etc. I, I think it's I think it's a pretty good deal personally. Um, you know, but again, that all depends on what you're going for and how often you're using these services, you know, and it's also, it's also one of those things where as more of these channels that, that Hulu would be getting this stuff from have started to lock down their, their sites and make it so that you can only, you know, it takes seven days for new episodes to appear or whatever. If it appears earlier on Hulu, it, it already kind of has an added value there, especially if you're a person who kind of needs to keep up with a show, even if you're not able to watch it live, still being able to watch it that week can go a long way. Um, Peacock is another one that, that uses a, a varied ads model. So the very basic version of Peacock is completely free with ads and not a whole lot of add-on features. The next tier that they have is five bucks a month, $4.99. Has ads still, but you have access to live sports, Peacock Originals, next day access to current NBC shows, and more content. They actually have a larger library for, you know, Peacock premium subscribers, which is interesting. And, you know, again, I don't, I don't hate paying $5.99 and having some ads some limited commercial breaks if I'm getting access to a whole bunch of other stuff and it's it's still cheaper. And then finally, uh, Peacock has, you know, their Peacock Premium Plus tier essentially, uh, where it's, it's $9.99, no ads, and you can watch some of your stuff offline. So uh, I think it's an interesting model. 
to kind of build up to paying for no ads. Um, I, I think it's it's also interesting. Like I know I, I said I wouldn't talk too much about YouTube Premium, but you know the main reason why I have YouTube Premium is to avoid ads and to watch some of the creator content there. Uh, but you know, are ads really that bad? And, and sure, this will be a podcast episode, you know, for another time because this one's getting a little long in the tooth. But you know, are ads that bad? And 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 how much should we really be paying to avoid ads? Because you know, I'm saving five bucks a month and just having to watch some ads doesn't seem that bad to me. Um, but I guess it really depends on who you are. Apple TV Plus uh, right now is $4.99 and, and you can have up to five people watching at the same time. I I struggle with justifying the cost. Like, you know, again, I got it for free when I bought my, you know, latest Mac computer and that's great. Uh, but again, I've barely used the service. I, I can't name a single thing that I've watched on there. So I, I don't know if even at five bucks a month, that's worth it. And I know Apple's changing their, their pricing schemes to do more bundles and stuff like that. So that price may even change in the, in the coming months. Uh, CBS All Access is another one that has a version with ads and an ad-free version. The version with ads is six bucks a month. The version without ads is nine uh, is 10 bucks a month. You know, again, it's, it's still kind of the same. A lot of these are very similar in that. Um, there's no change in the content that you have access to though. So, you know, in, in some ways it's like, if you can stand seeing a few ads, it's like, why not save yourself a few bucks a month and put that towards something else. But, and then HBO max is actually, you know, if you, if you look at, if you remove the highest quality version of Netflix, HBO Max would be the most expensive by a dollar. Uh, but I would actually probably argue, again, this is personal opinion, based on the quality of HBO and Max originals, I personally would say that HBO Max is probably a better deal than Netflix. I know there are some people who are probably sitting there thinking you are out of your mind. There is so much stuff on Netflix, but you know, again, if I'm looking at the quality of the content that I'm taking in on these platforms, if I'm looking at the back catalog, if I'm looking at the ease of use and how much enjoyment and entertainment I'm getting out of using these streaming services, I definitely think HBO Max is the better platform than Netflix. But that said, you know, breaking it down, Hulu 599 with ads, the content that they have from Disney, Fox, FX, NBC, Universal, you know, their their movies. I, I, I forgot to mention in, in their movie section that they have stuff like Parasite, you know, award-winning films like Parasite. They have, a, a you know, it, it's just, it's hard to argue that Hulu is not a really strong competitor at a really great price point. I don't care if there are a couple of commercials that I have to watch in each program. I just I just really feel like they have 
a, a good handle on getting people great content for a reasonable price. They have the best user experience. And, you know, quite frankly, and, and hey, since there's been a pandemic, I have been spending a lot more time in front of my TV. Um, I live in a studio apartment, so I'm pretty much always in front of my TV, but I have been spending so much more time in front of my TV using a bunch of different streaming services that it, it's really come out that Hulu has put itself on top, like far above everything else. And a lot of that is, again, quality of original programming, extensive back catalog, ability to keep up with currently running shows easily price point which you know technically my sister plays for it but i pay for hbo max and netflix so it, i think it's i think it's a fair deal um you know it's just I, I don't know it's just hulu for me just just does it all but what do you think the best streaming service is what makes a streaming service good to you let me know Hit me up on social media at LarryTron pretty much everywhere or send me an email Larry at LM2photo.com. I will be right back. Agree? Disagree? Do you like Hulu? Do you prefer Netflix? Is HBO Max your steez? CBS All Access? That's where you got it? You know, like I said before, let me know. Hit me up on social media or email me. Um, like I said in episode one, one of the things that I want to do in this last part of the episode is talk about some of the stuff that I've been watching. Um, and let's see, this the last couple of weeks, because uh, I put off recording this episode a little bit, uh, just because certain things kind of kept changing and I wanted to approach it a little bit differently. And I know this episode was way longer than I'm sure anybody was anticipating, but I hope you found my rationale and thought process around streaming services, entertaining and enlightening. Um, but during this time period, uh, HBO's Lovecraft Country drew to a close. I think it was a really phenomenal series. I know a lot of people are really hoping for a second season and I feel like a weirdo for feeling like I don't necessarily want a second season. Um, not because I don't want to see where they can take it next, but because I worry that it'll be really difficult for them to follow up the season that they created for us in the first one. Um, but hey, we will see what they do. Uh, outside of that, I also have been watching both Halloween Wars and Holiday Baking Championship. Uh, at the time I'm recording this, we had just passed the Halloween weekend. Um, in Halloween Baking Championship, it was a little sad because I feel like the bakers that they had around this time were not necessarily the strongest, uh, especially after having watched the first episode of Holiday Baking Championship just today. Um, it, it definitely feels like there were some weaker bakers on Halloween Baking Championship. And I wonder if that was partially because 
maybe in some way it was due to difficulties in getting folks because of the pandemic. I don't know. Uh, but Halloween Wars was much more uh, intense. The teams were doing some amazing work there. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but like baking challenge shows, especially the baking challenges on Food Network are, uh, for lack of a better way of putting it, they're my comfort TV. Uh, whenever I need to feel at home, feel comfortable, feel warm, I turn one of those on. And so we're in the perfect season for them going directly from Halloween Wars and Halloween Baking Championship into the Holiday Baking Championship. Lots of good stuff's going to be coming out there. Um, I don't, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I mean, it's been a busy couple of weeks for me, so I haven't been able to really hunker down and watch any other things. Uh, I did start playing a new video game, though. Uh, it's called Assassin's Creed Odyssey, uh, and basically, if you're familiar with the Assassin's Creed games, it's more of the same, only this time you are in the ancient Greek world and you get to meet characters like Socrates and uh, Hippocrates and Pericles and all the keys. So it, it's, it's definitely interesting and it's kind of fun. Uh, I'm spending way more time in it than I should, but it's a nice diversion from everything that's going on. And just to date this episode even more, I am recording it right before the 2020 presidential election. So basically all I'm doing right now is trying to find stuff that makes me feel happy and helps me escape from what's going on. So I'm putting this episode out on election day, so I'm hoping you can take a listen to it and it will help you escape as well. So as always, stay watching fam. Peace.